You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I'm watching Limp Bizkit front row with our management, with Nick Adler, the manager of our band. And I don't know what's going on. I'm just watching the show. And all of a sudden, I see out of the toilet, I see Lynn's head. <laughs> and then I see his chest with a big, giant snot sticker. And then I see him, he's butt fucking naked. A dick out, flying 20,000 people. He hasn't got a bit of clothes on. Hey, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name's Corey Peza. I'm here, as always, with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. What's going on, guys? Hey, hey not much. So, we talk a lot about, like, rock and roll stories. And I feel like every other one up to this point pales in comparison to what we hear on this episode. With our guest, Mikey Doling. And talking about the legendary Lynn Strait, if you don't know who he was... Um, it's probably because you weren't exposed to that period of time in the 90s uh, where a band snot ruled the, the airways of MTV and the radio. But Lynn Strait was a legendary guy, but he was a flash in the pan. But Mikey Doling, our guest, was the guitar player in that band, along with Soulfly and uh, Channel Zero. And he's coming out with a new band, Wyote, that you guys need to stay tuned for. Right, and he gets into a lot of the stories of the formation of Snot and the writing process going into the studio. Some really crazy concert stories. I don't want to give too much away, but he had us laughing. Also, I, I think that he, he said that Shannon Larkin, who we also had on before, seems to be the key to a lot of these stories. And he kind of threw the gauntlet down. So if Shannon's listening, I think you need to come back on with Mikey at his request so that you guys can kind of both let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, but without further ado... Great episode, Mikey Doling. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and you are listening to 2020, a show about a year ago. Maybe it's two years ago. Maybe if we're lucky, it's three years ago, because we're still in cyberspace somewhere and you're listening. My name is again, Benny Goodman to reiterate it. And if you haven't subscribed yet, 2020-d.com. I'm here with my cohorts, my compatriots, my fellow 18 plusers that could go to life uh, in jail with me, Sebastian, and all the things that we're doing down on Skid Row. Siobhan Cronin. Hey, how's it going, Ben? Good. How about yourself, Siobhan? Pretty good. And then good of course, last but not least as far as my cohorts are concerned. <laughs> Corey Peza. What's going on? I'm excited. I've, I've been I've been buried in, in mixes all day, so this is a nice welcome yeah, break. Yeah, I, I dropped a bunch of notes on uh, Corey, so he's been struggling, I'm sure. <laughs> and then I am so happy to say that it's come full circle. The gentleman that we have on today is actually, what was my first interview with any quote-unquote famous touring rock guy? I have a picture of me and him uh, I think from 1997 on my Holy wall shit. over there, 1998 or something. Uh, he's played with the legendary Snot. He has toured the world with Soulfly. He is, uh, and, and and of course, while doing that, toured with bands like Pantera. And he plays in a fantastic band, Channel Zero, and has a new band that he's going to tell us all about, which I listened to, which, bro, it sounds like the best of Owls and Chains. There's a little bit of that like power groove Pantera thing going on. Okay, so I just gotta tell you, nice. when I was like vacuuming this morning, I was doing it with a little bit of a step. Yeah, man, Wyote. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, ladies it's, and gentlemen, uh, you, Mikey Dolling. Hey, what's happening? All right. Woo. Hi, guys. Welcome, welcome. Hey. hey. Thank you. 
I'm three hours behind you, and I see you have a glass of wine over there. Oh, yep. This is, <laughs> this is my it's signature. It's a, a little bit early for me to have wine, but uh, get on you. <laughs> well, listen, if you change your mind, you're in good company. I may have to. I might have to do that. <laughs> cool. Javon's always down to antique. It makes this show much more tolerable, too. I can promise you that. <laughs> And I see you guys are all in like recording studios. You all have guitars around you. Uh, I see some you amplifiers. figured it out we're in a band. This is how we're surviving. Amidst this. We had to awesome. pivot. I, I got some guitars pivot. around me too. I got I got nice. this one. I got my Beretta over there. Uh, I nice got telly. my my Adrian Smith Jackson Strat over there. I got my I got my Adrian Smith Iron Maiden shirt on. There you go, man. <laughs> right Representing. On. Hell yeah. So, so let's jump right on in, dude. Like, sure. What's been going on with you? Obviously, 2020 was a little. So you figured it out. We're in a band called Lost Symphony. Siobhan also plays in a band called Star Set. And oh, I um, know about Star Set. I really they're like kind Star of Set. a big deal. They're, she's the only reason this band, this, this show has any credibility. Yeah. Congrats. That's amazing. You <laughs> guys are killer. Oh, thank really you. like oh, you. Thank Two you. billion streams, that. according yeah. to the Forbes.com. Um, but. Uh, you have been around for a while, just kicking ass and taking names in the metal industry. What makes you tick? How was last year? Because I know for a lot of my friends that were touring, it was like, oh, we're going to do something awesome. And then nothing. I mean, we were going to do something awesome, too. My band Channel Zero, we had an entire summer booked all the way into the fall. We were ready to rock, man. And... uh we had festivals like uh, Grass Pop and Alcatraz. I mean, actually, it was Alcatraz and Hellfest. We had, we had a lot of festivals. No big deal. Some pretty cool <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. We had to cancel all that shit, man. It was a bummer for everybody, for all the bands out there. So how'd you how'd you manage that? What what did you do uh, to to keep yourself occupied? Well, uh, I actually wrote a new album, Wyote. I, I formed and started a new band with. Uh, Aaron Nordstrom, the singer for Gemini Syndrome. Oh yeah, we yeah. toured with them a couple of years ago. Killer. Of he did. Well, he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. I, I produced his first record, actually Gemini's first album, and uh, awesome. since then we've been real close buddies, and we always wanted to do something together. And um, we decided to go ahead and do that and put some music together and collaborate, and it came out killer. That's taking advantage of the situation, I'd say. Mm-hmm. We wrote. Um, I guess we got like thirteen songs. Nice, man. Yeah. So That's as amazing. far as inspiration is concerned, like, uh, I know you've done a lot of different things as far as going from really, really heavy, heavy rock. Like, when I listen to uh, Wyote, is, is that how you pronounce it? So I get it yeah. right? I'm like, yeah, it's Wyote. Like, okay, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to call someone's band by the wrong name. I'm like, saying they're going, have you gotcha. seen Prong? <laughs> no, dude. Primus? <laughs> Primus is up next. But when I, So you sent me two tunes. Um, I think it was like Digital Dream and Atlas, I want to say, which my yeah. stoner brain is not very good. So the fact that I remember it is good marketing, gentlemen. Um, good job. But I listened to it and I feel like, one, it has the power groove, which I, so many heavy bands are lacking now. Like they're, they're, they're taking that double bass, which there is some double bass, but it's not like ridiculous Gene Holgan shit. It's double bass that should be in a power groove band. Um, but the heaviness is in the intensity of the riffs and that allows your vocalist to sing. Yep. And I, and when the screams come in, when there are yelling or screaming, it's a, a dynamic thing. It's not like my mom's going to be angry that I'm playing it in the other room. 
Is there a reason? <laughs> it's, where does that all come from, Mikey? Um, well, honestly, when I started the project, I literally was listening to Alice in Chains and Pantera. And I was like, man, we need to fuse this style together. Good job. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of what I did, man. I mean, I just did a lot of listening, you know, and uh, picked up the guitar and that's what came out. And fortunately, Aaron, man, his harmonies, you know, they're real dark. And Alice in Chains has that dark vibe. Mm-hmm. Not that it's the same as Alice in Chains or even... Is a no, but it's range. reminiscent in the same th- way that Owls and Chains is heavy because Lane and uh, and Jerry had such great voices that they didn't have right. to be heavy singers for the the heaviness of the riffs. And if you even listen to the guitar tone, it's not that heavy either. It's heavy in the bombast and the intensity of the riffs and the way that it grooves hard. Right. We, I wasn't going for the full metal thing. I mean, I was trying to keep it pretty heavy rock. And I believe a lot of tone. I mean, if you guys record music, you know a lot of the tone comes from these. From your hands. Say it every yeah. single we time. We talk about people, this all the time. I yeah. have 170 guitars, and I keep telling people I'm not yeah. getting any better. There's not one magic <laughs> thing. It's right. your hand. It really is the way you lay it in there, right? And I was really depending on that i back down the game just a little bit on purpose just to to be able to have the dynamics you know when i when you record and um and that's kind of how it came out man if you listen to it like i'll be playing some heavy stuff and going to something kind of a little bit cleaner and that's just me lightening up on it and it, i think that's the way they used to do it in the old days you know and uh the the music itself kind of came out like that a little bit retro i think wow. Yeah, I got to check it out. So, I, I, I mean, the, the the bands you're describing and the influences are, are basically right up my wheelhouse. It's basically all, all, all I listen yeah, to. Yeah, I've written for them a couple songs, yeah. and I'll send you a third one. I got uh, another one I just finished this weekend. Um, we're nice. working with the uh, the producer, Chris Collier. Do you know Chris? Have you heard of him? That name sounds he, familiar. I, I yeah. feel like it's familiar, he, but everyone's He's killer. He did like the last Prong record. He just finished the new Corn album. I thought it was Prone. Oh, cool. Yeah, Prone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, Prone good. But um, yeah, he's killer, and he's kind of got this this new school approach. Um, the way he what writes. does that mean? Tell us, well, guitar players, what that means. Well, what does a new I, I school approach use, mean? I shouldn't say new school approach. We recorded this record at his house. We weren't in some killer, big giant studio with a drum room. How do you know that you're not just the dinosaur living in the new school? I could be. I probably am. Well, because I'm saying, because you say that, but like there are kids that are alive that have never done anything but record in basements. Talk to Billie Eilish. I don't think she had been in a real recording studio. Meanwhile, like you're saying the new school way, but it's like, is that the new school way or is that just the new way? Well, unfortunately, I mean, I love going in a big drum room with a big console. Don't get me wrong, you know, but with the COVID and studios are actually kind of dying off. To walk in with this dude and he just programs the drums right there. What I want to hear, and they sound fucking real as hell. It it's has no killer. personality as a person, though, right? The drums don't talk back at you. They do. <laughs> they yell at me a little bit in my <laughs> well, head. Then they what's do. the point of They're programming? Like, dude, what the fuck? No, but it's amazing the, that you can. None of the crash. Yeah, it's on the ride, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how was that experience, though? You know, going from you know the bigger studios to doing it in a more stripped down way. Yeah, there's pros and cons, you know. Um, I really like just sitting in front of the console and I know a lot, of, a lot yeah. of musicians would kick my ass with this like, Oh, that's bullshit, man. Um, but I like sitting in front of the console and just combing it out and just keep yeah. combing. You know, I'm not feeling that. Let me try this, try that. All right. Strip that. Is that why all your records cost so much money? No, it's actually cheaper. <laughs> it's actually much cheaper. 
Yeah, because you don't have the big drum room and all that, and it's more comfortable, and you can go take a lunch. Mm-hmm. You're not paying hourly rates or at somebody's. Oh, house. I thought you were talking about sitting in the in the giant consoles. What's which no, one? like in the mixing oh. room, right? Oh, oh yeah, in the mixing. Yeah, well, I got back you. in the old days, it was really fucking expensive. You know, like when I when I did the snot record, we did that. I mean, it's twenty years ago. I'm Longview Farm Studios in Northbrookfield, Massachusetts. Yeah, brother, that was two hundred k sitting in that place recording $1,500 a day yeah fed exactly. your ass. they totally screened all your calls there was a uh, there's a cat steven steam room there was there was a room for <laughs> keith richards that didn't have any uh windows but it had opaque lights that appeared to be win- windows but he had specifically requested no sunlight dude i know so, the room well yes right so and they had horses so like i remember one time i got high in like the barn and they said listen we don't care if you get high but don't get our horses high wait a minute you were at that studio longview not only did I record my first record there, I actually had Amazing. Moonlit there while you, Cold Chamber, Seven Dust, a lot of bands were there. And in fact, the guy that fixed the headstock on one of my Gibsons played banjo on your uh, snot record. Oh, that's fantastic. I think we had that conversation before. Yeah, um, there's a stable. Sorry, we got off subject from the other no, record. It's, but it's this welcome record, to our show. No, no, no. Let's, no, yeah, this is let's go classic. back to 90, <laughs> God, 96 when we did that record. Uh, we, the whole entire band lived in the studio, and just under the studio, there's a stable with horses in it. And then under that, there's a house. So it, it's just the craziest place. Oh, no, it's excuse me. down house, twice. It's also haunted. The house is actually next door. That would be crazy if the, there was horses on the yeah, roof. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a house and then there's a giant barn, and one, they're both separate studios. The right. house has the Trident board that like recorded some Queen records yeah. and all that. Which, by the way, as a side note, my first recording experience ever, I went with my jazz band because apparently, out of twenty years of doing jazz band, our our high school jazz uh, instructor thought that we were so good, he convinced the school to put us at Longview, and apparently, it was the time that Rainbow was recording there. And I remember oh. sitting in the in, in the console room and I loved like Deep Purple and all that, like as a kid, thinking to myself, that dude looks like Richie Blackmore. And like they said that he just worked there or whatever. This and it was. And, and I found out this year from, I think it was the drummer from Rainbow, was like, no, we, we were recording. That was absolutely Richie. And I remember wow. your jazz. That's game. fucking crazy. And how about that Neve console that's in there? I mean, that what? thing's insane. See, there we go. Uh, all right. Yeah. I kind of like take away everything i said 10 minutes ago or five minutes ago <laughs> and, and see i missed that side too yeah. you know, for recording that console is insane man but uh, my husband was just talking about away. this no What's because that? now they have all the no i was saying my husband was just talking about that exact console because now you can get all these plugins and it's like you know but it's not the same yeah as it's not the same as the original same. yeah, yeah the there. big tube and the <laughs> tubes and the compression and all that stuff you know and you know they, yeah. i believe they even have like mastering itself kind of in the console um not the end mastering but some you know just kind of compresses the whole thing and uh yeah and for 15 dollars, you could send your tracks and they will master them for you <laughs> yeah, by putting a, a sonic maximizer yeah a computer will do it. <laughs> exactly yeah. can, can you talk a little bit about that recording process at longview and, and what that was like oh man yeah, that was so good sure i'd love to what an um, studio yeah you know what let me go grab the actual guitar that I recorded that Please record do. with. Please do. <laughs> uh, I'll be back in seconds. Hell yeah. Okay, one sec. So first and foremost. Can you see that? Yes. Yvonne, can you see that? She's uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, Damn, I know. I, 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 look at you, little kid. 
That's you and me. <laughs> Hold on, look at the guitar I'm holding. And then- I Which guitar it. is that? It's a PV Predator, but I brought it. Oh, wow. And had every single member of every single band sign it. But when you and I did this, it wasn't even signed. That's my first guitar. So yeah, that's that my first the, interview is ever. That, is that on the Snob Bus? That's on the Soulfly Bus. I want to say oh. it was 98. That was my first like yeah. real 90, ninety-nine. So if, if anyone's uh, if anyone's just listening, make sure you check out the YouTube feed. This is a uh, it's a pretty great picture. <laughs> Actually, that's two thousand. Because Soulfly headlined the second stage Ozfest two thousand. So maybe that was a <sighs> no, but that wasn't Ozfest. It was at the Palladium in Worcester, and I oh because because that's <sighs> that that guitar's from Ozfest ninety-nine, so it's before that. Palladium in Worcester. Yeah, Love you guys did the that was the first Soulfly tour I think you did. Wow. Yeah, I remember that place. And in fact, I was supposed to do an interview with Max and I came up to the side of the bus and they're like, are you kidding, kid? There's no way you're talking to Max Calvalera. <laughs> no, like, you can talk to Mikey. <laughs> I'm like, you're so nice in. to me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Hey, look at this thing. Is that yeah. the one you got oh, back? Wow. That yes. was like all fucked up? Yes. I tell everyone the story? Sure, I'll tell you the story. This thing's beautiful, huh? Oh my God. Um. Tune into the to, to the YouTube guys. Right, so we should tell the listeners what they're porn. looking at for it's anyone that's not watching. It's a beautiful, beautiful, sexy Gibson Les Paul. That unless you like guitars, you just don't truly understand how much <laughs> well, the real guitar you, people are salivating. I'll tell you a story about this one. Take a look again. It's just a beautiful, beautiful guitar. I recorded "Get Some" with this guitar, Snot "Get Some" in '96, and it's the only guitar I used on the album. So it's every nice. song, every note. Of get some that I played, and Sonny had a black one. He played his parts. Sonny Mayo. Right yes, Sonny Mayo played know. on them. Yeah. Um, how we got these guitars was when we signed back in the old days when you signed to a record company. There was actually money. You know. Unlike the current pop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they took us out to dinner. They bought us clothes. I'm not kidding. Now we signed to Geffen Records, the same team that signed uh, Guns and Roses, Nirvana. Oh white God. zombie you know they signed us and they spoiled the fuck out of us and they took us to guitar center because they had this really shitty little beat up ibanez with like stickers all over it <laughs> little skater kid guitar i mean you know and um they took us to guitar center and said pick up any pick any guitar you want off the wall oh look hey Hi, Jax. Oh, <laughs> hi. Oh, my God. Look at that hair. Guess I star. love when the kids make a cameo. Wow, that's amazing hair. Yeah. Buddy. yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> See you later, bro. He bailed. Yeah. You just got 2020 <laughs> by your own kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, he 2020s me all day. Um, he, he gets embarrassed by me at school all the time. What's his name? Jax. And how old is oh, he? Oh, cute. He's eight. He'll be nine uh, in October. So he's eight and a half. Nice. <laughs> he's so, yeah, he's, he's so, so cool. Now he's playing very the, good reason to to interrupt the guitar porn, but back to the Gibson Les <laughs> okay, Paul. Okay, so Geffen bought us these guitars. We went, we recorded Get Some with that guitar. Um, and then I played, I mean, if you look at any old snot footage, that's the guitar I'm playing live. Uh, and the Ozfest stuff or any of the touring we're doing. Anyway, I I played that guitar so much and threw it across the stage back in the old days that we were a little more wild than we are these days. <laughs> <laughs> there was beer and blood on it. We throw it across the stage and neck would snap. Just mess with your guitar player's Kemper and go like, ha ha, his mids are going to be too much today. Yeah. Uh, not, not back then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so 
fast forward to like 2000, I guess it was, yeah, 2002 or three. You know, the guitar had been dead. And there's a club in Santa Barbara called the Velvet Jones. And my buddy Craig owns the Velvet Jones. Many bands have played there over the years. It was like the spot, any band going on tour through Santa Barbara, they played there. It's a club that holds like 600, something like that. So one night I'm in there drinking shots of uh, Jaeger with them, getting way too smashed. He's like, hey, man, I actually need something of yours to hang on the wall because your snot's from Santa Barbara. Mm. I'm like, cool. So I gave him that guitar because it just didn't work anymore. It was just destroyed. And um, it sat on that wall for about 18 years. Wow. Yeah, 18 years. Wow. Every, out right there over the bar. Every band that came through, that guitar was there getting the, the energy off it, you know, and nice. feeling it. And uh, he, I guess it was 2019, they finally closed the doors on the place Sorry. after so many years. Mm-hmm. It was 20 years that place was there. And I think he was just moving on. He was just, he just had enough, you know, 20 years of rock bands. And, well, also you know, watching the scene completely go from amazing to like, fighting tooth and nail just to stay alive kind of yeah absolutely i'm sure that had a lot to do with it anyway so i didn't think nothing of it i just heard that they shut down so i was in uh santa barbara like right before covid hit you know uh late 2019 and uh i contacted him because he's my buddy you know and uh i hadn't seen the guitar in years you know i forgot about it thing is gone it was toast you know i was sitting on the wall just warping it's a beach town i'm sure it's just yeah. trash and uh so we're eating sushi and we're drinking some sake we're having a great time he's like hey man let's go to the parking lot you know we're on our way out i'm like okay <laughs> so we go out there and he takes me to his car and pops the trunk pulls out a case and opens it and it's this guitar completely oh, wow. re- yeah, he refurbished it. It's like oh, wow. new That's... again. Yeah, wow, he's in... it looks oh. amazing. Yeah, it's in great shape, man. I mean, yeah, it's like new. I you really know? wish all my come to the parking lot stories ended with a guitar, right. <laughs> <laughs> especially something so sentimental. You know? Yeah, That's an amazing, sure. amazing gift. Like, holy crap, right? Yeah, I'm literally teared up. And, you, and one thing I always say, I so saw I have a show called The Neurotic Guitarist on YouTube, mm-hmm. and uh, I I always say that guitars that are beat up. Uh, they are like animals that you adopt. They work harder for your tone for you. And like my guitars where I've had like the broken headstocks and all that, where people say like, oh yeah, they sound better. To me, my experience, they do. Absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you. So Mikey, before we, before we go on from that, that's an amazing story, but you know, I come from a totally different world. I'm a classical violinist. I obviously play in rock bands and have gotten into sort of the metal scene, but I'm Uh curious to hear about, how you got into the music that you do and some of your background, like growing up, like how did you end up in this genre? How did you end up as a guitar player? Like what were some of your influences growing up? Well, when I was, I guess, 14 years old, back in way early 80s, I'm a pretty old dude nowadays. Um, I used to hang out at the skate shop back in the old days when you had the big wide skateboards with the big wheels, you know. But we still skated pools and stuff back then, but it was like, late 70s early 80s skater style it's cool it's called it was called bates skates on palm canyon and palm springs tony hawk shit some to- even way before tony hawk I, i'm sure not the video game the real guy yeah it's old school so 
Um, I was hanging out with older kids. I was 14 and all the other, other kids were like 19 and 18, and, you know, but I was cool back then. I was a little shithead, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, black flag came to town and they were playing Henry right. Rollins. No, it was Des Cardina. It was pre Henry. Oh, uh, oh Jesus, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't do my math. Sorry. No, yeah. No, no, no. They, they, it was old school. Like Des Cardina. That's like old, old school. Yeah, yeah, it was, man. It was Chuck and uh, and Robo, and uh, it was the real deal. Old you school. mean the stuff that you see in the documentaries? They pulled up in a van that had, a, like, a, a car smashed in the side of it, so they couldn't even open the door. That was Black Flag. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, and they had to pull the gear out of the back. I, that's the Black Flag I saw. Anyway, I'm 14, and I'm just blown away. I've never seen a live band before. Um, I go in the, the show. And the power that was coming off that fucking stage, man, I was just like, my hair was blown back. My eyes were this big. I just couldn't believe that people made that kind of noise, you know? And there was people, they were slam dancing, the old school punk style. And um, that was my first introduction to live rock and roll, you know? And, wow. uh, were you already listening to that type of music? Yes. Or how did you? We, we okay. already listened to Circle Jerks, Black Flag, and stuff like that. And, you know, but I'd never seen it live. I mean, I, mm -hmm. that's how I became a guitarist. Like, I'm like, I got to do that right there. What? That's insane, you know? The so, Circle Jerks, dude. That's a, what yeah. a funny band. I remember getting a, a, a video from a something called Ha H, and it had this one video from the Circle Jerks called I Want to Destroy You. And I remember thinking yeah. to myself, I don't know who this band is, but I too want to destroy you. So I, that was, I haven't heard that name in so long, but like, man, just brought me immediately back. Yeah, that was kind of where I started there. And then I went to high school and discovered ACDC, you know, and, and weed. <laughs> you know? Like you many know? others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, so I had this punk roots, but I really loved the energy of rock and roll, mm -hmm. you know. And I was also playing the guitar at that age, and I was like, okay, punk rock guys, it's cool and all, but they're just going there, there. These three bar chords, kind of sloppy, which is awesome. But I was kind of wanting to go a little further, and so I Angus Young, you know. And then, and then I discovered Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, you know, that real metal stuff, and I started learning all those records like i learned you know probably three iron maiden records over the summer and then i learned three important question i'm sorry to interject no favorite iron maiden songs and favorite iron maiden guitarist well oh shit that's rough i know it's really hard it's like what's your favorite child I mean, I, question. I really love the Paul Diano era so much, you know, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I love Phantom of the Opera. It's my favorite Maiden song. So that's I good. Yeah. And that actually, I mean, those guys were kind of a punk band in that time, you know, it was kind of punk rock. But then, of course, Bruce came in and just blew all our heads off. So I can't really pick. I love them both so much. Um, and making me pick between uh, Adrian and Dave. Come on, man. That ain't fair. <laughs> I got to tell you, I've made a decision in my older years. I love them all. Adrian. And Adrian Smith. Yeah, see, dude, exactly. See, I got his guitar. Best should I yeah. grab it? All right. You should, dude. Yes. Adrian, right. So, so everyone knows while they're listening, Adrian Smith, and there's a reason for this. Dave Murray <laughs> is the bombast of Iron Maiden where he's just like the speed of notes and he's got this crazy blues thing going on. And then you have Janet Gers who came in later, who's great. He's kind of like a mixture of the two, but Adrian Smith is more of... <laughs> Adrian Smith is more of the like classical, um, really well thought out, like m most music. I want to say like music theory based 
uh, maiden player. You can uh, he's tastiest. Ben, me. you need to do yeah. a masterclass on the rock and roll history because I feel like <laughs> I would learn so much. Like I need the entire canon of like rock and metal history through Benny Goodman. Here's Adrian um, Smith's guitar. This is his signature. And yeah, I guess I don't have a dick. I love that Jackson logo where it's just like too big for the headstock. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I like that too. I love the black hardware too. Yeah. Have you yeah. heard his new tune, Adrian cool. Smith with Richie Kotzen? I sure have. I have, yes. What do you think of hearing stuff like, you know, two of your favorite guitar players from the 80s now doing tunes together and like the pipes on those dudes? Amazing. Incredible. But anyway, let's get back to uh, what I was trying to finish there. Yeah, um, no, he he always tries to derail. This my is what questions. I do. I derail it's normal. <laughs> well, no, we're then, then I was in high school, made and all that stuff, and then um, I moved up to Santa Barbara from from Palm Springs. I had a girlfriend who was going to college up there, and Palm mm-hmm. Springs just it was kind of beat down back then. Um, they didn't really have a music scene so much. They had kind of a little one, but not really. So I thought. Cool, Santa Barbara, which is two hours north of L.A., but I'm like, L.A., you know, that's where I need to be. I just was so young, I didn't know, you know. So we ended up in Santa Barbara, and little did I know, there's an amazing music scene up there. Amazing, full of talent. There's so many bands up there. And uh, I started this, like, thrash metal band. I guess that was... And this was in the 80s, right? I mean, that, there was a huge eight, scene developing in the 80s, right? 80s, 86, yeah. It was mm-hmm. insane. Um, 86, um, from 86 to 90, <coughs> 92, I guess, I had this thrash metal band. And we did good, man. We played with everybody, from Pantera to, I mean, everybody... Uh, White Zombie. We played with Alice in Chains. So, what's it like being in a band? Testament and then, like, forbidden. Yeah, going mm-hmm. on stage before a guy like Alex Skolnick or a guy like Dimebag Daryl, or being able to stand on the side of the stage. Like, oh, you look got- back now and say, like, this doesn't even seem real. I got a story, a better, a better story for it. Yeah, it didn't seem real watching back then. It didn't. But uh, if you want to fast forward, I'll tell you a good story about that yeah. very thing. Um, I guess this was. Seven years ago, uh, we were playing in, I guess it was Germany, Channel Zero, my band Channel Zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, it was Belgium. Excuse me. We we're playing with Zach. The band's pretty big out there in Belgium. So Zach, Black Label Society, were playing right before us. Okay. Imagine wow. me backstage listening to fucking Zach Wild <laughs> shredding 50,000 people. And I got to go on next. I'm like... <laughs> Well, hopefully they have bad taste in Belgium, right? Like it's yeah, all exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I will tell you, Zach Wild can fucking like overwhelm you. I one time saw Zach re- uh, at the the it's Hendrix pretty experience, intense, yeah. and he not only played so, so long, I had to go take a piss. He saw me from the stage, walked off the stage, blocked me, stepped on my jacket, stepped on the fucking chair, and then start shredding in my face so I can't get out of the fucking aisle. He's like, how dare you fucking walk away? No, and then when I thought he was going to turn around, instead he just puts his guitar behind his head. And then when I went backstage later, I said, Zach, how the fuck do you play for so long so consistently? Because not only did he like walk from the stage, play behind his head, and he's still just doing better than any of us could ever do in their wildest dreams. He's not even thinking about it. And he just looks at me and he goes, you got to do it a bunch of times with this hand. You got to do it a bunch of times with this hand. When you're tired with this hand, you got to start again with this hand. It sounds like all right. <laughs> that sounds gross, but okay. <laughs> That's exactly what Zach Wilde said to me, deadpan. But it was more it. with a New Jersey accent. You kind of just- I, I have no accent. 
it was more of a, <laughs> I don't want to do yep. it. Anyway, yep. that dude, I'll tell you what, how he did that. Cause he's the best guitar player in fucking rock and roll today. He's the man, Zach. Well, so I'm backstage. Yeah. Shitting my pants. won't agree with you. <laughs> Fucking Ingrid. <laughs> Stop I derailing mean, the conversation, Ben. Let him talk. I do. I do. I, I love Ingrid too, but Zach, man, he's the the whole deal, man. I love him so much, man. Anyway, so let's go back. Where were we? Well, so let me ask you this. So you, I feel like you skipped a big part, which is I did. how you learned to how you learned to play. Because you know, we went from like, okay, I saw live music and I'm amazed by this, and then all of a sudden you're opening for all these big people. You're traveling. So what was the connection? Like, how did you learn how to play guitar? Like, what what was that process like for you? Oh my god, man! Um... You don't have to go into crazy detail. I'm just curious because I'm no, I'm like the, I'm I'll a school musician, so it's very square from the classical world. It's like any any musician you would know. Um, from the time I was 15, 14, 15, I was insane about it. I, I would stay home and I would play yeah. eight, eight, 10 hours a day. It's all I did, right? It's all we do. When you're a kid, I mean, I don't do that Still anymore. all but that I do. Yeah, I was a better guitar player when I was a kid probably than now because all <laughs> I did was fucking play the goddamn thing. And that's how you get better, right? And uh, I was always learning other bands' music. When I was a kid, like, I just learned, like I said, all the Maiden, Priest, uh, the ACDCs, and, and later, you know, trying to learn some of that Pantera stuff with Zach, you know, with Dime. Um, but that, that's, that's how I learned, just playing like fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then how how did you start your first band or what was the the process of actually perform like getting into your first performance? Oh well well back to uh Chronics, the band in Santa Barbara. Right when I moved to Santa Barbara from down in Palm Springs, was I guess it was eighty six, something like that. And I was a kid still. And it was right out of high school. And um I met these guys, uh, some local like show I found where the musicians hang, and uh they were we were kind of in a circle, maybe smoking a dude or drinking a beer or whatever. And somebody <laughs> mentioned that they are starting a band. And I was like, hey, do you need a guitar player? You know, and uh, it happened. And that's how we formed Chronics. And then uh, we um, we kicked ass around town for years. And, and this really cool club opened up in Isla Vista, which is just north of Santa Barbara, actually adjacent to it. And every fucking buddy played there, man. You You name it. From the Bay Area thrash metal days, like Testament, Exodus, Death Angel, you know, just all those bands, violence, you know. Uh, so we got to open up for all of them. So you, you got know? any uh, good stories? Any, any crazy yeah, any shit that Alex went down? Any good Alex stories? Because we should probably yeah, tie this in. Because in a of, oh. No, we're talking to Skolnick, but he plays on a few of our songs on our next record. <laughs> so, I don't have any I'm Alex, reading his book right I now. I don't have any Alex stories. He was... Uh, he wasn't much of a wild child. I, I mean, the Exodus guy. He was too no. busy. He was too busy practicing guitar in the back with, with this hand and this hand. Yeah, <laughs> that hand and that hand. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the stories I got was uh, hanging out with Rick and Old Man. He was awesome uh, from Exodus. Of you know, it, our our rehearsal space was across the street from the venue. And by the way, so people don't get lost, Gary Holt also played with Slayer for years. So even though right. a lot of people don't Rick know him from Exodus, he, he was yeah. the guy that took over for the Holy Hanneman. 
Right. Yes, he did. Anyway, um, he they they would come and play down there, and a couple times he would come over to our rehearsal space, and we would party way out of control with that guy. So we yeah, we had some good stories with him. But anyway, um, I even we we opened up for Alice in Chains back in the day before they got big. I saw Corrosion there, Pantera a number of times. Uh, uh, what was it? Prong. Uh, oh, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> That's the first band I ever saw was Prong. Cool. It's a true story. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that that place kind of like that venue and that band honed my my whole career because I I learned everything about it. we were, when we would play there, headlining ourselves, six hundred kids would come, and full mosh pit, stage dive, and the whole thing. We were just a local band, you know. And then um, we broke up. Because, you know, we got sick of each other after five years, you know, as bands do. <laughs> Plus, we're young and wild. And then uh, I started Snot out of that, in that area. You know, that's another story, but yeah. Yeah. So how, well, how did that, it. Yeah, how'd that come about? Uh, wait, are you from Canada? No. Oh, you, you, you do kind of have a Canadian twang choreo. Well, you said uh, how'd that come about? I thought you, I thought you said boat. So we hang around Ke- Canadians. Been, yeah, I've been hanging around Kelly fact, and our our Canadian guitarists too much. And we actually I, had I an episode it. where we were supposed to do a Canadian. Uh, I think Paul specifically said we were supposed to do Canadian stereotypes because he is from Canada and works gotcha. for W Five, which is like the biggest. It's like the twenty twenty uh, the show in Canada, and he was basically we were talking about poutine. Well, later and, when you edit this, listen to that. You didn't say boat. Both? All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm in New England. It's yeah. kind of close to Canada, I guess. <laughs> I guess. So anyway, um, during Chronics, there was this uh, this other band, and they were kind of more punk rock, called Lethal Dose. And we used to play with them. Not real close friends with them, but they were, we knew the band, and we were kind of competitive with them. Um, and then when Chronics broke up, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm starting something new. I'm not doing thrash metal anymore. It was kind of dying anyway. You know, it was like Nirvana had came in, you know, 94, you know. And I was like, I'm going to just do something totally different. And uh, I started Snot. I had a couple couple dudes that didn't end up being in the band later. And we found Lynn Strait, who was the singer for Snot. Um, and he was the bass player. He was the bass player in Lethal Dose. That's why I brought them up. Um, and so we started snot and we had a couple other members and Lynn and I, uh, kicked those guys out. Actually, those guys are the reason Lynn's in the band because when he tried out for the band for snot, I wasn't feeling it <laughs> crazy enough. And those guys were like, no way, dude, he's a total rock star. Are you kidding me? And I was like, all right. Kind of Fine. we'll take yeah. the legendary Len straight into our band right right totally and then he was in the band for like two months and he's like dude we gotta boot these guys get a little bit <laughs> it was a coup d'etat yeah. <laughs> it really was it was so we uh uh so i'm getting ready to tie something really cool in here uh because i know you had this man on your show so then i went over to my buddy shannon larkin's house oh, from god smack and from, from Ugly Kid joe exactly and Rathchild america can't forget that. And of course, the Apocalypse Blues Band, now that he's been dubbed the Apocalypse. And Souls at Zero. Um, he, that was. And filled what? in for Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah, he did do that. Anyway. And, and Sully Earn as personal drummer. So let's talk about Apocalypse, too. Let's give them a plug, man. That, that's really cool. 
they got a new record yeah the apocalypse blues revival.com yep there you go yeah totally anyway so shannon was in godsmack at the time or excuse me an ugly kid joe at the time and those guys were like brothers to me personally um and shannon was kind of the new drummer in the band you know they had mark davis who did the first albums and blew up ukj with that and then they got the mighty shannon larkin on the drums and i remember i was trying to form this band and i was struggling and i went there see ugly kid joe's new drummer at their rehearsal and there's shannon larkin shaved head he's got tattoos like all over his head if you've ever seen him and this is pre tattoos on the face and head okay and and he was swinging that slink back and i was like that's the drummer i want <laughs> but, right. this guy he's so incredible so i i got real close with him he we have a lot of the same interests um he loves punk rock music so do i even though we're metalheads, we got that punk roots you know and um we ended up growing down so when i was looking for members of the band one night shannon and i were over at his house drinking beers it's like you know what i think i got guys that you need and it's not and uh we we weren't even started really yet we just had the name we played a couple like parties with these other dudes but it really wasn't happening yet so he put on this uh vhs tape you know and it was a Betamax. yeah and it was his band called the mf pitbulls motherfucking pitbulls back home where he's from on the east coast hold on that's fucking crazy can i just stop for one moment yeah. we have david abruziz from pearl jam we, we we have him and i sent you a video serving shannon because shannon is was a fan of david and i said okay. well he's been on the show why don't we tell that tell him mm-hmm. and i made david watch shannon's episodes and, he, and and shannon one of the things he said was i would love to come back on and talk to that guy and david sent him a video um, which is him looking through a uh, a lava <laughs> lamp, like all. Which, if you know Shannon Larkin, like this is totally on brand with Shannon. You know, basically daring him, saying the last time he saw him was when he was wearing a boa constrictor in 1980 with Ratchild America, and maybe it's time we caught up. Awesome. Um, but the reason I was getting to all of that was the fact that like, you you come from a time where it was snot and all of that. You he he was talking about you know. The uh, MF Pitbulls, right? The M- oh, yeah, the MF. Dude, I lost it. Thank you. The MF <laughs> Pitbulls. Dave has something, a band called the International Motherfuckers. Uh-huh. And so, and, and they're like, he plays with guys from, I want to say, um, Keith, uh, Mick Jagger's band. Like, mm-hmm. these are like serious cats he plays with. And then you have Shannon Badass. doing uh, 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 with his. MF. Uh, yeah, with the. Uh, it's so many. Uh, and then Candlebox versus Dave Cruz. Like, I, it's like they're meant to serendipitously meet. I don't know if Shannon has seen the video yet. I sent it to Kamal, uh, the Godsmack's photographer. And I was like, please show this to Shannon. But the gauntlet has been thrown down. But the reason I say that is that those guys, having not known them, are like totally the same wavelength of crazy. Wow. Wow. Like wow. literally, like David, just so you know, is an undisclosed location. He left the United States. He went away from things. He goes around the volcano on his scooter. That's all you know. <laughs> He bangs on drums all day. Like he loses his phone for a month at a time. He's out of his mind. And then all of a sudden he'll send me a video of him in a pool floating around on a duck. Like, gotta be Iceland or Hawaii. That's cool. Well, listen, I can't tell you. But then yeah. you have Shannon telling us that he's like fucking Theodore Roosevelt with his fucking goddamn koi fish and his turtles. Oh, yeah. oh, and I'm yeah. like, you. And then his fucking room 
It's just yeah. all like, you know, he, he painted his house black. His entire house is black. Like when you drive by, it's a black house outside. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah in that's Florida. you'll definitely know where he lives now because <laughs> yeah. there probably isn't a single black house anywhere oh, yeah. else in He's Florida. But anyways, Earth motherfuckers, like, find be, it. Before we went off, way off there, we can get back to. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I was going to Shannon's house yeah. and we were doing some beers. I was like, <laughs> I need some guys. I'm starting this punk band or this this band called Snot. I had some demos that I recorded, you know, just with me playing everything, you know, and um. I played it for Shannon. He was like, holy crap, man. I got the guys. So he put in this beta or VHS and uh, it was the other three dudes that would end up being snot. So actually he handed me half of snot as a bro. I owe it to Shannon Larkin, a big thank you. Because he brought in Tumor, John Ponestock, Tumor bass, Sonny Mayo, guitar, and Jamie Miller, who's in Bad Religion now, on drums. And uh, that that's what made Snot, like, you explode. Once we got those guys in the band, we it was on. We started writing and playing shows in L.A. We took over fucking L.A. like quickly. I mean, within like three or four months, we we're selling out the Whiskey, the Roxy, Troubadour, just packed. It was like, just, it just happened. It was very cool. And then we signed the deal and. That's great. And then that yeah. brings us back to you getting the guitar and then brings you back to Longview Farm Studios where we were supposed to tell some stories about. Exactly. While you were at Longview Farm Studios, you came and played a place called the Espresso Bar in Worcester, November oh, yeah. 27th, 1997. With yeah, our uh, force-fed shovelhead opened and, up that yeah, show. And, 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 and Seven Dust. And I say that only because it was the first time I went to oh. two shows in a night. Was that with Seven Dust? Yes. Fish was playing at the Worcester Centrum. I remember and that. I had tickets to that. And then I ran to the Espresso Bar and had my, one of my uh, friend's parents pick me up because I wasn't old enough to drive. I love how they called the Espresso, the espresso bar, bar. But it was and then I came back to club. catch the second part of the Fish set because you can just go in because they were dirty hippies and they didn't care. <laughs> 1997, while you were at, at Longview Farm Studios. So that was the first time I saw a snot. And I've had this on my wall. Uh, that is so since 1997. Cool. Look at that. That's so amazing. Wow. If you look at, at that. Yeah. You can see it's Clint and more. Yeah, I see, I see LJ yeah. on there and I see mine actually on the bottom. I say Mikey 97. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Like it. Come, come full circle from the beginning of our episode here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Tell Back us about day. that experience with Snot at, at the studio and what that was like in a real studio, not a, not a bedroom. <laughs> well, um, we, uh, as Snot with uh, the three members that Shannon introduced me to, and we, we became brothers. We all moved into the same house in Santa Barbara. We lived in a beach house in Santa Barbara. We had a rehearsal spot next to a strip club. And think about that. We all lived in one place, <laughs> rehearsal, strip club. They would end up at our house. It was fun. <laughs> it was it was a good time man we were we were the band what a life oh man it was crazy um and we would rehearse like we were crazy about rehearsal we'd get up in the morning and we'd go practice three hours and then we'd go home and chill for a few hours eat and go back for three hours we were really into it um and we wrote get some basically in that time um what were you asking? I'm sorry. I lost no, just so, you know, you mentioned that you, that you uh, had some, you wanted to talk a little bit about your time at Longview. Oh recording. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Talk so about a drum room, dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway. So 
we signed the deal with Geffen. Uh, Lynn is a complete maniac. He, he can't just be in a studio in LA because then you would never get him to the studio. He'd be running around chasing chicks, chasing <laughs> drugs, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the real deal. Um, so they put us in Longview Farm, which is Brookfield, Massachusetts in the woods. You know, there's no going anywhere for him. So they put us in the studio and uh, we move in. We all pick a bedroom. I mean, like you said, Aerosmith, the Rolling Stones, Bad Brains. They all recorded at this place. We stoked. It has that Neve console we were talking about earlier um, and the stable underneath, uh, which when the horses would walk at night, the whole place would shake. You know, it's pretty <laughs> it was creepy. That's so it, scary. It was pretty creepy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but it was big, big barn. You know, it's cool. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so hold on a sec yep <laughs> take your time so anyway um um you want some of that jacks my son's gonna drink coffee like doing a shot ah! <laughs> got you gotta drink in front of them you gotta uh, take an honorary shot that's shot of coffee it's brave of you. coffee <laughs> anyway i shouldn't do that bad dad bad dad <laughs> It's good. It's very good. Okay, now go. <laughs> it's oh, a wow. little bitter, but then a little sweet. Oh yeah, we'll go play Call of Duty. Shoot, shoot people. Yeah. <laughs> you should write a book on parenting. I know. <laughs> Number one. Have dad. some coffee. Go play Call of Duty. Here's some coffee. Go shoot people. Um, <laughs> Wake up and kill them. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we're in Longview, and it was pretty cool how we set it up. Uh, we had. You've been to Longview, so you know that there's an adjacent like room off the studio side there. That's the drum room. We yep. set up all the gear in there. So we had the amps, the bass, the guitar all mic'd up, and we go in there and we would jam, man, and get, get jam on a song. And uh, um, the producer, T Ray, who produced like Betty from Helmet, he did a bunch, bunch of cool records. Um, he would tell us when we're ready. We, he got play it again. No, play it again. You know the producer thing. Just yeah, yeah. Kicked our ass. You know. We're, like, were these songs it. were these songs written prior to the studio or? Yeah, yeah. Like okay. I said, we rehearsed yeah. so much. We walked yeah, in so there the ready. Right. Yeah. We we're ready to kill. Um, the record you hear is actually exactly how we sounded live before we walked in. That it was so That's real. Great. Yeah. yeah, if you listen to it, there's no doubling. That's awesome. we, we tracked on the right, on the left, guitar, bass, drums, that was it. Well, that's, that's the old school thing that you were talking about because that room, so people know, is like a 60-foot ceiling. It's an A-frame barn. And then yeah. the, the actual drum riser is actually a story above the band, as every drummer thinks in their head that they're above everyone. <laughs> they right. literally are. So you can kind of have your separation and you get like, you know, no standing waves because the room's a giant fucking room. And you could just... Uh, uh, set up everyone strategically, get all the microphones. And that was a time where you actually had to rent the microphones separately from the studio and rent the guy separately from the studio. And if no, you they had tools, all that shit. They had all the shit there, though. Like, yeah, well, the, the label guaranteed paid them to have separate people bring them yeah, in. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't brought have it any in, of that. for sure. Uh -huh. But that room, you could record a live record and make it sound like that. But anyway, we actually didn't record it live, though, because I'm getting to the story. We would just do it, and one of us would kind of fuck up, and just, you know, finally the drummer, Jamie Miller, who's in Bad Religion now, awesome drummer, he was like, hey, guys, why don't you guys all go fuck off? And he recorded the entire record without us, with no music. Uh, <laughs> he was just from memory. He's like, I yeah. know it now. 
From memory, he played the entire album like in four hours. He's like, all right, next one, boom, boom, boom. There's no Pro Tools back then. Yeah. Yeah. He recorded it and then we came in, tracked the guitars over. It was perfect. I mean, the feel was there. He just had it in his head. The guy's super good and super crazy. Um, so that that's a pretty good story is how we recorded that record, you know. Um, but like I said, I would come in, do my side. Sonny would come in, do his side. There was no doubling, mm-hmm. you know, just one per side. And then Tumor, our bass player, would come in and you heard his bass tone. It's fucking insane. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yep. And then can you talk about oh sorry, no, go ahead. No, no, what were you gonna say? Talk about I was gonna ask, can you can you talk a little bit about the writing process? I'm curious. <laughs> like, you know, you said you were rehearsing a lot. Obviously, you had a really great band chemistry. What what was it like to write? Like, how did that process work for you guys? What happened was my son's singing. Yeah. <laughs> he's all hyped, he's all hyped up on caffeine now. Totally. It's exactly right. what it is. Anyway, I want to sing while I kill people. I'm anyway, uh, how it was. <laughs> he's the best. Anyway, um, we signed a record deal with Geffen Records, you know? And hold on. I'm going to close that door. <laughs> One sec. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I love as he walks away. If you guys go on to the video, he's got his band Channel Zero playing with like Gojira, uh, Gojira. Excuse me, I always say Gojira. Uh, it's Soundgarden, Mastodon. Like he's played with Pantera. He's played with all. I mean, Morbid Angel. Like every band you can imagine. Like I can only yeah Metallica. It's a Metallica poster too. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's that. <laughs> there's Metallica. So anyway, what was I saying? You were talking. You got the record oh, deal, and yeah, I was asking the, about the writing process. We got the record deal. God, there's so many good stories there. I should tell you that one too. Tell us them uh, all. Well, we got the. Re- yeah, feel free to go on a sidetrack. You don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> stay Corey will edit no, together like Quentin Tarantino and make it make sense. <laughs> he hates me already. Anyway, um, so we got to deal with with Geffen. They're like, all right, now you guys got to go write the album. You know, because we had some <laughs> other songs we didn't quite have, like get some actually. The, title track there's a few songs we didn't have like the box wasn't on there i don't even think i just live was written yet so they were like go write so we went to rehearse a uh, rehearsal spot we practiced six hours a day we wrote all these songs which ended up on get some we worked really hard what was so, it like like as far as the songs was it like you know based off a riff based off a melody like where was your uh, actual see, like done. that was actually no, it was different. Yeah. We got in a room. It wasn't like based on a riff or anything. It was like we were literally jamming. Okay, yeah. Old school style, wow. man. Yeah, yeah. And we were jamming. And, and we are like, hey, that's pretty cool. You know? And I'm sure that explains, that. that explains why your recordings are reflective of the live show, if that's how the actual songs are written and arranged. You know, that, right. that translates. That yeah, through. and if you listen to the album, there's actually yeah. some jams in between the songs. Mm, yeah. You know, they call them interludes. But yeah. Uh, we know yeah. all about interludes. That's why there's like, even on the first song, Snot, there's a drum solo in the middle of the song out of nowhere. The first song, like, that's how we did it live. Like, that's great. You know, so we recorded it like that on the album. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun, man. We, we were pretty wild. And then we got in the studio, and I was telling you about how we, Jamie tracked everything without the band. Then we laid down the music. And then Lynn came in and he had his uh, vocal booth, pretty large vocal booth, actually. 
it was large. You could probably park a car in it. it was so big. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, he would, he flew in some girls. <laughs> this is, this is the, the, the old days, you know. Right offable expenses, as they say at Geffen's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were girlfriends. They weren't like hookers or nothing, but there were chicks that age, you know. Well, you had to pay an extra hundred dollars a day for anyone that stayed at Longview Farm so, Studios. I know this for a fact. I don't even know if that's true when we were there, but um, they stayed in his room. So it was <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, he would uh, start singing the song, and before he knew it, he'd be butt naked. I'm not kidding. Yeah, he would sing in the booth naked. There'd be a girl in there; she'd be naked. Um, it was like that. It was, and he'd have incense going, his bong going. Uh, they, sometimes they would just start having sex, and they were like waiting for him. And, and <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it was the real day. It was like some Jim Morrison shit, you know. And uh, actually, you can wow. actually hear some of that on the album. There's a little bit of action on there. Um, <laughs> we recorded it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually one of the things we said to Ulrich Wilde that is- was, "I'm such a fan of him." Uh, he produced Static X and White Zombie. And I said, you know, you have two hits where it starts off with girls just moaning. And every time I hear White Zombie or Static X come on, my 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 mom in the other room, I feel embarrassed. We uh, we we mic'd up Lynn's bedroom. <laughs> we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have there's mics behind the bed. You can hear it going on the album. If you listen to the end of. Uh, we call this well, sound design. If you listen to the end of, I think it's 313, you can actually pull it up. The very end, there's, oh, girl, well, yeah, that's real. Is that stereo um, mic so you get the full image? Or the, is that just uh, the flat ones? Monty. I forget, I forget <laughs> what they're called, the, the Z mics or something. They're well, back the at, fact that they were going into a need preamp yeah. <laughs> says so much to the coloring right. of the sound. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And then there was a SM... 57 right at the foot of his bed like right there well the most important like, microphone in history yeah and they don't even know what it's for and it's live <laughs> and we're in the in the control room listening going woo i five and oh yeah wow that that's is hilarious that's something yeah. that you will probably never hear again in like modern studios that's just like not gonna happen for sure it's just the old days man yeah. it was so cool back then like it was so real rock and roll you know I got a Jack and Coke. Lynn's banging a chicken there. We're recording it. Tumor's smoking doobies, you know, like. Well, yeah, and they were cooking you food downstairs because you're in the middle of East Brookfield, Massachusetts. There's nothing going on. Yeah, so we they had make a, your we meals had for you. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it, it was insane that you had your personal chef. They would f- screen your calls and be like, oh, yeah, Mikey can't come to the phone right now. Oh, Mikey's in no condition to come to the phone. It right was now. back then. It was, it was like the real deal, rock and roll. I get the, I'm so happy that I got to live that, you know, like. Right the real rock shit you know like they had money and they blew it on us and we didn't care we're like all right do that so if that was snot in studio can you tell us a little bit about snot on tour it was exactly the same thing exactly the same thing (laughs) yeah there was a there was someone just leaves and said let me just play the live show without you guys and just fill in the rest (laughs) i mean when lynn got uh butt naked on we're on tour with ozfest limp biscuit was uh playing it was boston and limp biscuit was on stage uh our record had just come out and lynn's like how am i gonna get the attention here you know 
So there was this girl on the stage that was dealing out some BJs to the rock bands. And she was following the fucking show tour around. It was famous. She'd be like down for anything with anybody at any time. Anyway, um sounds exhausting. She explained that Fred Durst took her out on stage like with uh, a call around her neck. No, and that's all wrong. fours. And wasn't it? I thought I thought I said isn't no, that c- one of Continue the telling the story, but we're gonna we're gonna mute that. <laughs> Here's what happened. Lynn uh, Olympus kit had this 13 foot high prop toilet. It looked like a real toilet you would see in a dirty gas station, but it was 13 feet high and had stairs that would go up so you could stand on the the lid of the toilet, like the seat. Yeah, you know, so you're a little person on this giant toilet in front of 20,000 people. Pretty cool prop. And Fred would go up there and he'd flush like Britney Spears down the toilet. And back then, Hanson, the little boy band, yeah. he flushed uh-huh. them down and the president or whatever it was. So Lynn grabs this this uh, lady, this girl that was dealing out BJs. Servicing the entire, the, the entire <laughs> festival. The band. And... She was dressed up in the collar and all that you were talking about. And, but not yet. I'm watching Limp Bizkit front row with our management, with Nick Adler, the manager of our band. And I don't know what's going on. I'm just watching the show. And all of a sudden, I see out of the toilet, I see Lynn's head. (laughs) And then I see his chest with a big giant snot sticker. And then I see him, he's butt fucking naked. Dick out flying 20,000 people. He hasn't got a bit of clothes on. Um, he voice. walks out and he's got this girl with a chain around her collar and the the full garb, the dominatrix, I guess you would call it. Um, and she blew him in front of 20,000 people on the Olympus toilet <laughs> in front of 20,000 people. Um, I'm in the front row going, Everybody's jaw was on the ground because it was happening. She was blown. Uh, um, yeah. And we're like, oh, we're kicked off the tour for sure. Yeah. So Lynn jumps off the toilet or runs down the back, actually, because it was 13 feet. You get hurt jumping that far. Um, he jumps. He runs down the toilet. He's naked. He's got his clothes in a little pile kind of on the corner there of the backstage. Grabs his clothes and he's running. Now security's chasing him. He's butt naked. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah uh just got his dick sucked in front of twenty thousand. um and he's running and he runs into sharon osborne's dressing room with her kids the the jack osborne kelly osborne they are like eight and ten at the time maybe 10 and 12 they're young and they're your know, naked lynn all just talking in front of these kids and Sharon's like, ah, eyes, you know, you know, and Lynn tells her, I'm so sorry. He'd never met her yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm running from the police help. <laughs> actually, oh she was, God. I know actually she was way cool. Yeah. You know, it was actually Ozzy's dress. Sharon was in there with the kids. Mm-hmm. So she, he's getting dressed and like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she's like, whatever, it's rock and roll. I mean, their dad is Ozzy. <laughs> right, I think right. seeing him naked. Right, right. She was say, Ozzy's dressing room would probably be the appropriate place to run to if you needed advice in that situation. <laughs> right. Nobody could get in. Not even the cops. It's Ozzy's dressing room. They're like, oh, Lynn's in there. And Sharon comes out and tells the cops, all right, I'm going to have him come out. Be cool. So Lynn comes out. They arrest him. You know, it's a lewd act in front of 20,000 people. He yeah, can't just 
do that. They arrest him. They take him to this little like on-site jail. And Lynn's got all his clothes on now, you know, and it's outdoor. It's an on-site jail behind a fence with a, a gate, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they take him in this gate. I'll tell you the whole story because it's so good. Yes, please. They, they take him in this gate and Lynn's got weed on his, in his pocket and he's got a pipe, a glass little pipe, you know, and his little lighter or whatever he has. And anyway, so it's hot. It's the summertime. So they take his handcuffs off before they search him because it's kind of a makeshift jail. There's a big bucket, like a giant bucket, like a bathtub sized bucket of ice and waters. And Lynn's like, hey, can I grab a water? They're like, go for it. You know, they know he's a rock star. They know he's in trouble, but they're not treating him like a real criminal. Um, So he pulls his weed and his pipe out of his pocket, walks over, reaches into the ice bucket and drops it and pulls out of water. (laughs) Because he didn't want to get busted with another, you know, pretty good move, right? Yeah. Professional. Yeah. So, yes. So they sit him down. Now the people that arrested him left and they got this clerk. They're going to take his information and give him his ticket and cite him. Maybe they checked his pockets. I don't really know. Um, but I, what I do know is when they took his name and stuff, he said he was Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> so the police report went down as Dave Mustaine. Oh, my gosh. Which is amazing. Right. Everything about that was amazing. That was oh yeah, what a great story, right? Well, you forgot the funniest part is that it was at a venue named Great Woods. It was yeah. Great Woods, yes. Yeah. I didn't even. But he had the greatest wood of all time in front of twenty thousand people. But so on the way out, they give him a citation. They say you got to go to court, etc. Okay, fuck off. He's like, hey, can I grab a water? And reaches in and grabs his weed. <laughs> <laughs> and leaves. Oh, yeah. So later on, um, they found out. Of course, he wasn't Dave Mustaine. You know, and uh, they got the real name. And actually, he got in big trouble for that. Um, they they were like, "All right, they're going to bury him." And he was actually probably going to actually do some jail time because of the the lewd act and then that the name and all that. And this is like right before he passed. Um, he he was uh gonna go to court but he never made it to court to get the sentencing you know well that's a pretty crazy story what happened you know in your after after he passed and and in your life in your perspective everything was you know kind of looking up and up and up right you know as if you guys are playing these shows you're you're on these tours and everything so what's that like to have such a monumental change uh in in dynamic like that We, we we went home off tour and uh we were sitting around. We had toured like 16 months straight in a van. Well, no, we did do a oh bus on the Ausfest. We had a bus. Right. But, I mean, it was it was pretty heavy, man. It was hard. And so we were going to kind of take a break from touring and just write. You know, so we kind of started, just started writing when Lynn passed. Literally didn't even get a full song yet. And um, Lynn passed away, you know. So, and we were on MTV every day. We were, we turned on the radio, we'd be on the radio. We were like, we were doing it, man. We were blowing the fuck up. It was the real shit, you know? And then when Lynn passed, uh, it was just over. It was done. It was silence. Uh, actually, the label asked us if we'd like to get a new singer, but then we we're like, no, just never be the same without Lynn Strait. You know, because if you listen to that record, 
it's us jamming with an amazing vocalist. You know, I can't really replace him, you know. So my beautiful wife just walked in. Hi, baby. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I promised to cook dinner after this. So I'm going to have to tie this up. Tie this up. Dad of the year, finally. <laughs> He's redeeming but, himself for sending his child off caffeinated to kill people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> cook for him too. But anyway, right after that that happened, um, uh, Soulfly called. They had a a tour in Australia with Corn and Marilyn Manson uh, called the Big Day Out. It was like nine dates, mm -hmm. and Logan Mater had left the band, and they had like thirteen days or eight days to figure out. Um, who was going to play guitar on that tour? So they called oh my me. Gosh, yeah. So they gave me eight days to learn the entire set. No rehearsals. Flew me to New Zealand to start the tour, which is New Zealand, Australia, Japan. And um, I walked on stage in front of thirty thousand people in New Zealand without one rehearsal. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 it was pretty intense. So, You're obviously a badass, though. That's amazing. Yeah. How did you that's get that a lot gig where they just literally said, "That's you." Uh, well, Snot was opening up for, for Soulfly for months and months, and we became really close with them, you know, and um, I was close with their crew. And then when Logan left, I don't know what happened between them, but it wasn't real good. And uh, one of the, the guitar techs told Gloria, hey, what about Mikey Doling? And she's like, yeah, that's a good idea. So they called me and boom, I ended up just doing it's amazing how much relationships yeah, matter. So yeah, yeah. And and I flew out there and I kicked ass for them. You know, we did those nine dates in Australia and New Zealand. And then we did four dates in Japan. Came home. I thought I was just filling in. And the chemistry was so good. They asked me to stay in the band. And then we did record a primitive. Mm -hmm. And then I did another record. I was in the band for about five years with them. And then, and then uh, I decided to move on and do my own shit because I was just basically a hired gun. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to write my own music and stuff. So I sure. basically after that. But yeah, it was man. a good time, man. I love those guys. It's a, it's I mean, a wow. crazy that's journey. That's actually, that was yeah. my first, um, uh, like, really, like, saying that. Because I remember seeing you with Snot. But then when you came out um, with Soulfly, I remember thinking to myself, like, I know that guy. Like, I know that guy. And you guys, um, you know, you you had an unbelievable record that had Corey Taylor, I, I want to say, on it, right? And, and, and Primitive. Primitive. And then, and Tom, well, the first one you did, and then you did three. Tom Mariah um, from Slayer. Yeah, Tom yeah. Mariah was on it. And it, it was, dude, I, yeah. I remember the song Jump the Fuck Up the first time I heard it. And I just yeah. remember thinking to myself, that's a good idea. And then like, <laughs> yeah. when I saw you guys live, it's one of those things that like, I mean, and, and you know, Sepultura really, you know, always had that. Like Matt Calvalera elicits a response from people that you oh, don't yeah. see from almost any other band. And there's almost no way to describe it. Can you explain yep. what that is? With Matt? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sepultura was one of the most groundbreaking metal bands of that time. You know, there was that whole Bay Area, Bay Area thrash metal, and then you had Slayer. You know, that was like what thrash was. You know, um, of course, Pantera was out too, but just kind of prior to Pantera breaking, there was Sepultura who came out and fucking floored everybody. Those first records beneath the remains arise. And then they came out with a Chaos AD. Uh, I mean, Max, he just set himself as a legend at that point. And then, of course, Soulfly. He just started Soulfly. 
And people looked at Max as like kind of the Bob Marley of heavy metal, you know, and he's an icon, you know, it was a true honor to play with him, you know, definitely. And I just think that's where the fans were with him. He's very legendary, you know? Yeah. Well, Amazing. listen, Mikey, we appreciate your time. I know you got to go make dinner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. I got a family. Uh, you know, I think yeah, that go cook I feel dinner. like there's like a, so many other questions and so much more to your story that we'd love to hear. You know, I hope I hope you'll come sure. back and join us at some point. You know, if uh, you want to do that with Shannon, I, I think we we're talking about maybe doing a dual interview with Shannon. That would be amazing. Or one of you ask him so that we can send him a video and say, Shannon, because when Shannon said that, I sent David the video and then he said to tell Shannon it was cool, but it's not the same coming from me. You know what? I'll do something later for you. I'll record something on my phone to send it to you. <laughs> sounds awesome. great. So is there anything that, that before you leave, Mikey, Yeah. is there things that uh, people can, links, people can check out? Anything uh, you want to promote? Anything yeah, you want to promote? Like, give us all of that, please. Well, like I said, I mean, you could just look up channel zero, the band dot B-E, and you can find our website. It's B-E is for Belgium. Mm -hmm. That's, they're from there. Um, um, and then my, my new project, Wyote that I'm doing with uh, Aaron Nordstrom. That's going to be coming out probably summer, I would think. You know, because Gemini Syndrome has a new album right now. We're letting them put that out and let the fans digest it before we go putting something else out by Aaron as a side project. So sure. yeah, we'll get that going. Um, so that's about it for now. I, I, we're attempting to do a snot documentary right now. We got a director and stuff but it's kind of in the infant stages um i'll let you know later if that starts taking shape cool love to hear Holy. about it oh, yeah, yeah sure. it sounds fantastic. awesome and thank you so much really truly thank you dude, it's, it's yeah it was full great getting to know you if you haven't That's figured so cool. it out that is such a cool picture. It's been man. on my wall since 1998 or 99. So We've both changed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, I, think, I think a little bit more hair over there, less hair over here. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, right, guys. Thank you so much. 2020-steve.com. Thanks for having me. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of 2020. As mentioned, please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 56, featuring the one and only David Ellison of Megadeth. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, look, there's the obvious drug addictions, and, you know, those are those are obviously serious and, you know, life-changing. And, in fact, I remember when I was in rehab, they said, David, there's only one thing you have to change, and that's everything. And I was like, whoa. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the heavy. heavy task. And I, yeah, and at, right around that time, a lot of famous people that we all know were getting sober. So fortunately, there was a sobriety uh, enthusiasm and community. And, and people were, the, you know, the managers and the labels, everybody's done dumping millions of dollars into drugged out rock stars. Like, those days were over. <laughs> you know, this was, this was, you know, late 80s. Um, so people were getting clean. People were either dying or they are getting clean, you know? Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.